we're on number six in a new you. And so what we're talking about is really uh, for Christians, for people who are true believers. And there is a difference between a true believer and a not true believer. And I know that may sound weird, but sometimes people uh, are born in an area and so they are like in a country and let's say they were born in Iraq. So they don't, they're not a Muslim by, by their own choice. They were just born there and they say, that's what I am. Or people say, you know, I was, you know, my friends are Christian. I, I'm a Christian. And, and it's not something that, you know, it's not about them receiving the Lord. It's just, you know, that's what they identify with. You know, if I'm something, I guess I'm this. But what we're talking about is a true Christian. And so the title, you know, is A New You. And religion often, and I think these thoughts that I'm going to say are huge to get in us. Religion often uh, is thought of or even expressed like this. God's out here. You're over here. Walk in love. Uh, be patient with people, do all these rules, keep all of these things. And that's why when Christianity is not taught to the believer correctly, then we'll think, what is the difference between us and a, a Muslim or a Jew or, or a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or, you know, a Hindu or what is the difference? And we're going to look at that today because there is one difference that, that's hugely different. And, and if people don't get this, they don't get Christianity, the real Bible thing. Because people will say, well, they all are good people or these are good people or not all of them are good. But what is the difference? And we're talking about a new you. And this is a huge thing that I think every Christian has to get down uh, in their life or should at least think this way. Because religion is not first and foremost about you altering your life so you can be accepted by God. And, and if you walk in love or if you are kind and religion you know, or Christianity is not this. You need to change this. You need to stop this. You need to quit this. That's not fundamentally what Christianity is. Now, there are things that we may need to quit and that we may need to stop doing, but it's an after effect. And I'm going to explain this because when people look at Christianity, uh, they think, well, I got, I'm trying to be the best Christian. I'm trying to do this but really, those aren't always the terms and are not the terms on how God deals with people and how God deals with Christians. What God does uh, is, and this is really what Christianity is about. It's not just about what you do. It's what God gives you. That's huge. That's hugely different. Christianity is about what God does to you. It's about what God does in you. And that is a big difference between any other religion in the world. Christianity is not about you walking in love. Somebody said, oh no, there's all kinds of scriptures about walking in love. And Jesus commanded to walk in love. And then Jesus commanded us not to do this or told us to do certain things. 
But there is something you have to look at. Jesus only wants you to walk in love because he, when you get saved, will put love in you. Are you with me? That is the difference. When we're told to walk in newness of life, it's only because he puts newness of life in you. That's a vast difference between anything else. In other words, we're not just told to be kind to one another. He puts something in you that is love, his kind of love, and he puts it in your spirit, not in your mind when you get saved, and then out of that you draw forth love. Are you with me? Um, I said this the other day, and even though it's at the end of my notes, I'm going to say it right now. You can't experience the effects of salvation until you receive new life first. And so often people will say, well, you need to change your life. I've told people this before over the years. You can sin all you want to and do all these things you want to after you give your life to the Lord. Knowing this, that something will come in them that will change them from the inside out. And it will change their wants. I said it like this the other day. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, and the Bible talks about being filled with the Spirit and speaking with other tongues, then as a believer, you don't look for the outward effect of just speaking. You need to first be filled with the Spirit. And because you're filled, you can have the effect. It's the same thing true with salvation. When you receive the Lord, you get eternal life in you. You get a new nature, not in your mind, not in your body, but in your spirit becomes made new. And that is what produces the change of actions. That is a huge difference, you know, between all the world religions that tell you, you work from the outside in. Christianity is this, God will give you something. You know, if you want a faster car, you're going to have to do something to the engine. Are you with me? Or to the computer nowadays. But you're going to have to do something internal to make that thing go faster. And so it starts inside. Are you with me? Not outside. And once the inside has been affected, then the potential to go faster is there. Whether you uh, drive faster or not, that's a different program. We won't discuss that. Amen? But it, the same thing is true. Uh, often people uh, recognize, they see in the Bible that there's healing or deliverance offered. And then they pray and then they look to see if they have deliverance. But the same thing is true. You have to accept and have healing in you first before it shows up on the outside. That is a big thing about Christianity. And with that thought in mind, if we can get it down, it makes life with God less of a struggle and more of a trust issue. Are you with me? Meaning like this, if, if I'm you know, struggling with sin and I say, oh God, you know, just help me. And so what I'm trying to do, if I'm a Christian, is get God to do something from heaven for me. But if I would realize that when I did get saved, I did get a new nature inside of me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 said, you know, that we become a new creation. That's a spiritual recreation. 
and that the old is gone and the new has come. Well, that's true of every Christian. And so we don't need to try to go outside to get God to do something. As a Christian, you are not approaching life trying to get victory. You have victory and you can bring it forth. That's why the Bible said we're more than conquerors. We are victorious. And if we could get this mindset down, then we'll stop struggling to get things and realize we have things we can bring forth. Now, this is a familiar verse. We've been looking at this, but turn to Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians, the first chapter. This is God's word talking to you. Talking to anybody who would open up this book and look, God inspired this, put this in here, so that if anybody would be diligent to study, to look in the book, they could find inspired words. And words that came from God. And words that have meaning and still possess God's life, His ideas, his approach to man, man's way that he should approach life and God, and on the list goes. And so here in Ephesians 1 verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, meaning God, has, notice he's not going to. Could you see that if we would start thinking like God has already done something about this. God has already done something about everything I will face while I'm here on the earth. God's first creation at the beginning was man. And how did God set things up? I heard this statement in Bible school and it has kind of sat there. That if you could figure out the first few chapters of Genesis, you can kind of see how God is, how he operates, how he deals with man, and things like that. You can see a lot in there. And as I've gone along, I've noticed that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God set the thing in order, gave authority to man over the enemy. He... Uh, caused everything that man would ever need, whether it's, you know, materials to build homes, you know, through trees and all the materials in the earth. Gold was an idea of God. He's not against it. As a matter of fact, in the book of Genesis, he said the gold in the garden was good, not bad. But religion will tell you it's bad. But it's not bad. It's wrong to covet. But it's not wrong to have gold. I mean, if you like platinum, I'm cool with that. But you know what I'm saying. Platinum's probably more valuable. Then get that, all right? Whatever. But you get what I'm saying. It wasn't a bad thing. And God put it there before he ever made man. And then he put all that they would ever need to eat before he ever put man. He put, made the stars, the skies, everything that man would ever need before he ever made man. He provided it all for man. Then he created man, because could you imagine if he didn't make oxygen or didn't make fish or didn't make meat or didn't make, you know, all the food or different things and he made man first, you know what man would be doing? Oh God, I need this. Oh God, can you come and do this for me? 
I really need this. I'm hungry right now. And they would be praying and, and, and Adam would be calling out, I need this, I need this. And God's like, uh, uh, I'm trying uh, tomorrow. Well, that'll, be done, uh, that'll be done Thursday. But you can recognize in the book of Genesis just how God is. Before he made man, he made all the provision man would ever need. And he said, it's yours. You can possess it. You can walk in it. It's there for you to partake of. Well, man sinned. Man lost his dominion. Man lost out on a bunch of things. Jesus came thousands of years later. And what did he do? He actually did or accomplished what was accomplished in Genesis. But from a spiritual standpoint, all the healing, the deliverance, freedoms from sin, peace, comfort, goodness, joy, good fellowship with God, having God in favor with man. He died, he was whipped, he was beaten, he suffered, he descended into the lower parts of the earth, into what we call hell or the holding place right now, and then was raised up on the third day and then was seated in heaven. All that man would ever need was paid for. And just like Genesis, before man was put on the earth, everything he'd ever need was there. So he would never have to say, God, I need bread. God would say, I already provided all the wheat. God, I need a horse because I need to get you know over here and do this. It's right there, it's yours. Possess, possess it. And what Jesus did was he did the same thing. And we've looked at this in different ways like this. Our message to the world isn't God's mad at you, God's hating you. Our message to the world is Jesus already did something about your sins and he's not holding them against you. All you have to do is receive him and when you do, they're gone. Are you with me? That is a huge difference. In other words, if our faith, if we can start shaping the way we think, that our faith is the same way, that whatever you need, whether it's healing, deliverance, it doesn't matter, freedom from anything, it's already yours. It's already provided. Somebody said, well, if it's mine, um, I'm not walking in it. What's the deal here if, if it's so? Well, here's a good example. Is not salvation for everybody in the world, no matter how bad they are? And it's a free gift. And Jesus isn't going to die tomorrow for them. Right? He, he's already provided salvation for the world. So if you could start recognizing what he paid for in, for the world, he has paid for for his people. And healing is actually already provided for you. It already belongs to you. Provision, blessing already belongs to you. But sometimes when we come into religion or into Christianity, we bring religious thoughts and sometimes they're taught to us like, well, if you're good enough, then God will do some of this to you. And if he just smiles on you and you never know, then it might happen. And that is not Christianity. God is smiling on everybody who has received him. Somebody said, yeah, but you know, I haven't been perfect. None of us have. And some people, you know, I've told people I haven't cussed since I gave my life to the Lord in 1985. 
Not one time. Now, I have sat down when I was a youth pastor with some parents and said, your young child said thus, but I never cussed. That didn't make me a better person. That didn't make me more holy than you or more righteous than you. Are you with me? It doesn't. That doesn't make God go, well, I'm going to answer his prayers now. No, if you even look at how prayer operates, it's, not, it's less about God and more about you. Say, well, what do you mean by that? He said, whatever you desire when you pray, believe that you possess it. Before you ever see it, it's this principle about God putting something in you, and then you'll experience it. And so, really, it's about you receiving it, not about God withholding. Are you with me? Because he does not withhold. He, because he already gave. That's what we need to look at. And this is a huge shift in people's thinking. And uh, because, you know, there are people who become self-righteous, and self-righteousness works when you're doing real good to a degree, so to speak, meaning you're like, I'm good enough, God will give this to me. But the minute you fail, you start disqualifying yourself. And you fail on your own terms, and you start thinking, I'm not good enough for this. You need to go back and look at the Bible. I'm not trying to shame anybody but trying to help get rid of the load or the lie. Because God qualified you to possess whatever it is he paid for, not based on you, but based on the fact that Jesus already paid for it. It is already yours. It's a matter of putting a demand on it and making it come forth. Are you ready? Because isn't that true with Christianity? Until you made a demand and said, Jesus, be my Lord, you didn't start experiencing God like you do now. Right? Oh, you didn't know? And, and, and think about it. You could have lived a life for years and years where you were not even conscious of God, of his existence. You may have talked with friends and maybe you were aware of some things. But once you get saved, it's totally different. Are you with me? It begins to change because something comes in you and something is given to you and something changes in you spiritually. Are you with me? So let's go back here and look since I'm not making forward progress with it. I mean, I believe we're making progress, but let's look at this. Ephesians 1.3. And we started here reading this where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with most spiritual blessings. A lot. No, every. And that means everything. So if you say, you know, I, I want to love better. I believe, you know, I believe, you know, as a Christian, you, you connect with love. True God love because God is love. Not before you get saved, but once you're saved, you, there is a connection in you with love. But often Christians will do this and say, Lord, I just need to love more and uh, give me more love. And do you know that you don't need to pray for more love? Are you with me? 
You, as a believer, don't need to pray for more love. As a matter of fact, love is already in your spirit when you give your life to the Lord. It is deep down, not in your mind. Now, it will try to influence your mind, and it's not in your feelings, but it literally was put in you when you got saved. Because love, the Bible said, is of God. And everybody who is born of God starts showing love. In other words, love, his kind, not the world's definition of love, will start to work in you. But here's the thing. If we live in a world that's fallen, and, and all we're hearing is non-love, 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 and our head gets cluttered with that, we need to realize uh, that we need to think different. We need to feed ourselves on these truths and realize that when we got saved, one of the signs that we have changed is love starts coming forth. Well, love doesn't come forth where there is no love. Somebody said, that's my problem. No, if you have given your life to the Lord, love is in you. Love, God's love, and it is a real spiritual force, is in you. But here's the thing. There, according to this scripture, there is everything in you to your account and in you that you will ever need in this Christian life. Whatever it is, once you've given your life to the Lord, you have stuff in you. But somebody said, well, if I've got it in me, wouldn't it just come forth? No, it doesn't. Not, not necessarily. I mean, I believe God will endeavor to lead you, but it doesn't just automatically happen. We have to acknowledge it. We have to cooperate with God, and we will notice Him working in our lives. So let's look on at this. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In other words, Christ has already provided for you as an inheritance whatever you need. If you say, I need more joy, you don't need it from the outside. If you are saved, the Bible tells us it's in us. And not in our mind, but inside of us. If you say, I need to be refreshed with the presence of the Lord. I can't wait till I get to church on Sunday. And there's no problem. I mean, you know, we're singing songs and you sense God moving. There's a presence and you're like, wow, this is cool. And, and rightfully so. We should look to come to church and go, man, I'm so glad for what God's done and is doing in my life when I'm there. But sometimes people think, man, if I could only make it till Sunday and they kind of just oh, make it in. I remember those days, but we had a midweek service where I went to church. And I would be like, I made it to Wednesday night. Oh. And it was like you go there to get pumped up, and then you got a slow leak all the rest of the week, and you just kind of... Oh. Then by the time Sunday comes, you get pumped back up again. And, and I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night. You know, I was at all the services, you know. They did a Monday night thing, so I'd get pumped up, and then oh, start leaking. And I'd think, didn't even know. That what I was going there to get, rightfully so, I was getting instructed and we were participating and doing things. I could have done that on my own. Because God lived in me. When I gave my life to the Lord, He came in me. 
and he gave me new life. But I didn't realize that I didn't have to go to church to have that stuff come forth. I could start having that stuff come forth on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday before church and not be like, oh, I made it. Here we go again through the week leaking, you know, like a pool toy that's fun for the first five minutes. And then after it's like, get out the pump or open the thing and start blowing it back up. You've got the goods. You flat out do. You know, I know parents say things from a natural standpoint. We're not like that. We don't do this. And they're teaching kids to let them know how they are. Well, it's Father's Day. And if I'm a father in the faith, then these are truths I'm telling you. God's for you. You have an inheritance in you if you've given your life to the Lord. And just because you have a toy trunk with all the toys in it, in order to enjoy them, you got to draw them out. But they're there. And these are spiritual gifts that he has given you, and he's for you. And even though maybe things haven't always been perfect, and the enemy said, well, you just can't partake of that. No, you can you can. That's just the enemy trying to get you not to reach and take hold of it. To get you to go, I can't do that. I can't walk in that. But you can. You are very capable of doing it. Because the Bible said Christ strengthens you or you're strengthened in Christ to do all these things. Right? We, most people know Philippians 4.13. We can do or I can do or you can do all things in Christ because God strengthens you. Are you with me? Somebody said, oh no, it's different. But that's really how it reads. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But really in the context, it's because you're in Christ. God's strength is working so you can do whatever you need to do. Or walk in anything you need to walk in. So we're going to read another verse here. Turn to First Peter. So in order to experience the things of God, in order to experience the things of God, you first have to possess the things of God. Let me say that again. Before you experience anything in God, you first must possess it. Now when I say this, I don't mean you possess you know, something, you know, physically, but it's a spiritual possession. You possess it first. And there are things you possess, if you don't know you possess them, you may not walk in them. And because your approach gets backwards, or here's a good word, cattywampus. It's like, what does that mean? You know, just like, ah. Because you're like, I need to get that. You know, you hear a message. Uh, God wants to bless you. Yeah, then I need you to bless me, God. Well, in all reality, God, the Bible said, has already blessed you in Christ. And so it's way easier to walk in this knowing that I do possess it. And now I'm going to bring it forth. Because most of us have probably heard a teaching on faith that you are supposed to declare things. But now listen to this. Often people hear something and don't hear it maybe the way that they could or should. And so when we confess something so that something comes to pass, we're not confessing it trying to make 
it be, so to speak, in other words, to get it from God, we basically believe we have it because he said we have it, and we're speaking, and the very substance of that thing starts going forth, and it starts materializing. There's a big difference. I said, there's a big difference. If you already have deliverance, and you already have authority, authority literally does not mean you're stronger and greater than the thing, uh, so to speak, that you're exercising authority over. Because a policeman is not physically stronger than a semi-truck coming down the road, and he holds up his hand like that. There's a difference between, well, I'm not powerful enough, and I've got all the authority it takes. And you have the authority. You have the goods. But the enemy will put thoughts in people's minds. They won't even recognize it's from the enemy. And these thoughts will just come and go, you can't do that. You don't have enough faith. You, you, you just aren't good enough. This won't work for you. You've tried that before. After a while, people adopt his thoughts, believe his thoughts, and they back down. But let me tell you something. Uh, those thoughts don't belong to you. They are not from God. They're an enemy. You don't have to freak out about it. But what you do need to realize is your faith works. And you don't have to, when he tells you you're not going to get delivered, you don't have to answer him on those terms. And when he says, the enemy says you're not going to get healed, you don't have to answer him on those terms. Or, or, you know, you're not going to walk free from that sin. Sure, you're a Christian now, but you're always going to be bound the rest of your life. You don't have to answer him on those terms. Are you with me? Like you're not going to get it. Because in all reality, what he's doing when he says you're not going to get it, is he's actually positioning you in unbelief. You say, what do you mean by that? Because we're going to look at the scriptures that tell us you've already got it. So if he can get you to work from a position of you trying to get it, then it automatically puts you in a place of unbelief. Why? Because God said, I've already delivered you. I've already provided. I've already set you free. So we're approaching life from a victor's position and not trying to get. you got to believe you have. Now let's look at this. Are you with me? 1 Peter 2.24, a familiar verse to us. If you've been around here, we've maybe looked at this at different times or heard it quoted. 1 Peter 2.24. So we're Christians, right? We've, we've given our lives to the Lord. This is a scripture written to you as a believer, talking about what Jesus did. Are you with me? And... Uh, and if you look at the verses before, he tells you that new about, talks to us about being new Christians, people who have newly given their lives to the Lord, and he called them babies and said they need these truths because they will help them to grow. And it's interesting because the way he wrote this is not often the way it's talked about. Well, you're a Christian, now you should stop sinning. No, now you're a Christian, you're dead to sin. God puts something in you. And then when he puts something in you, 
and we recognize that something is true substance, it makes a huge difference how we approach stuff in life. Are you with me? And so that's why I said true Christianity is not just what you change, it's what God does in you or puts in you. 1 Peter 2.24 Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having, not going to, having died to sins. You need to believe when Jesus did the work and you received him, you died to sin. You, if you are a Christian, are dead to sin. You've received a gift and that nature change made you dead to sin. That's why Christians who live in sin or live wrong in these areas become miserable. Are you with me? Because it doesn't jive because you aren't the way you once were. You are absolutely different. Now, not maybe in your thinking, but spiritually, there has been a huge change that has occurred in you, in your spirit. So he says here, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin. Notice what happens first. You're dead to sin first. Not change your life first. We don't have to tell people, you know, you need to change your life, then come to church and, and learn about God and get saved. No, that's not what we're telling. That's not what the Lord's telling. He's saying, because you guys, and he's writing to these Christians, because you are now dead to sin, notice what he said. Might or should live unto righteousness or a right way of life. Why should we live different? Because we are different to start with. You are different. God, if you've given your life to the Lord, God has done something inside of you spiritually and made you totally different. You are a different person. Even people who fail and Christians and stumble and go, what's my problem? Why am I doing wrong? You need to get your attention on the right thing and not on the wrong thing and start going, God did do something in me. He has made me different. I am dead to sin. I have new life in me. Because how many of us have experienced new life? Even when we're praising the Lord, even when we're sharing with our friends, or even in our own life when we're praying, or just we recognize there's something different. You've got the goods. Are you with me? And approaching life like this is the way you're supposed to from God's standpoint. You don't approach it trying to get the goods, but because I've got the goods, now the goods can start coming forth and I can learn to cooperate. Are you with me? I can learn to cooperate. And so he said uh, that we might live a right kind of life. How come? Because I'm already dead to sin. Because you're already dead to sin if you've given your life to the Lord. Then notice what he said. By whose stripes you already were healed. It's the same thing. He took the stripes. You believe that it's yours first before you ever experience and then you start experiencing it. 
For example, I know a pastor who got Parkinson's disease and some other things. And if you know anything about Parkinson's disease, it can be pretty traumatic and can be debilitating, you know, and gets worse and worse. And he had the whole thing where it started affecting his speech and tremors, you know, where you can't hold your body still. And uh, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse to the point where he could almost not control his, his, uh, his ability to breathe. And he had always preached without notes. He had always prepared, and, and, and it got so bad, and he had people start leaving his church. And people said, well, you should do this, and you should do this, and I'm telling you what he did. And uh, he found scriptures like this and said, I'm not trying to get my healing. I've got it. And I know he went on uh, a trip to Israel with some other pastors and another pastor from another state. And this is guy said, you know, have you heard about this? And because uh, he said, I saw him and he has real bad tremors and said, yeah, you know, or we talked about it. Well, it was it was sometime later, uh, you know, because people don't just get free from Parkinson's and other things. And people are like, oh, you should do this. You know, there's always a remedy from somebody. You should rub this on it. My aunt did this. You know, there's always something you can do. And, uh, you know, and whether they're right or wrong. And, uh, you know, and he's doing this, fighting the fight of faith. And here's what the fight of faith really is. It's believing what God said is yours is yours before you experience it. And he would get up every week to preach, and he had some people start leaving his church because he's a person who's teaching on healing, and he's got this issue, and it's not looking any better. And he has several, several hundred people, and all of a sudden, uh, things started changing. And I mean, now that he believed, it, here's the thing, out of his own mouth, he said, I believed I got it before I ever experienced it. But it was some months. I don't believe it always has to take months. But he stood in faith in months, believing he already had it. Didn't see a change. And, you know, for months, didn't see a change. But he believed he had it. And he didn't keep trying to get it because he had scriptures that said it's yours. So he didn't go around telling everybody, but he just made a stand. And then all of a sudden, but it wasn't all of a sudden. Are you with me? If you've got a, got a oaks, an acorn in the ground, all of a sudden an oak tree doesn't pop up, but it's there. It's yours. It's your possession. As long as you don't dig it up, you're going to have an oak tree. And uh, all of a sudden the tremor started just quickly going down. And when I had heard him share his testimony, it had only been a few weeks, but he was almost by appearance 100%. But he even said, listen, I, you know, and he's back to not preaching with notes. And he said, I'm not the type of person that likes to share these testimonies. I just feel like the Lord dealt with me to do it, or he would have never done it. But you think about it. You've got to know it's yours first. From a Bible standpoint as a believer, I know another minister, uh, he wasn't a minister at this time, he was on his third escape from prison, and uh, the Lord spoke to him and said, turn yourself in um, and, and plead guilty on all charges. He spoke to him in an audible voice. He told me, he said, I peed my pants, literally. 
He was driving to Mexico, and, and he said, I'm going to escape the country on his third escape from prison. I'm going to get out of here. And the Lord spoke to him and said, my spirit will not always strive with man. If you go to Mexico, you will die. There is a trap. Satan has set a trap, and you will be dead. And he said, I just wet my pants. I heard this audible voice speaking to me in this truck as I'm driving. He said, turn yourself in, plead guilty on all charges, and I'll get you out of this. And so the judge said, when, when he did, went through, and I'm cutting through the story, he turned himself in, pleaded guilty, waive all your rights of extradition. They sent him back to Alabama or Georgia, uh, or Alabama, I believe it was, and uh, somewhere there, those two states. But he, the judge said, you know, I don't know why I'm doing this, but you've got these multiple felonies, but here's what I'm going to do. Uh, you have, he gave him life without the possibility of parole, but I'm not going to have you uh, serve your sentences on end, but I'll have you serve them all simultaneously. And then he went in. And then he got a hold of some books about faith. And he believed he received and that God had provided freedom for him. And he's in prison. And so he's serving God the best way he knows how. He became a police chaplain. God was training him there. And, uh, and, and, uh, and he's, you know, doing all this stuff. But he started claiming that he had freedom. And that he possessed it now based on scriptures. Even in his book, one of, he has a book. And he has them written in the back so he can give it to people who are in prison. Now, I, I knew a policeman who got, wasn't too pleased when I told him this. Uh, and I told him, listen, if somebody can use their faith to get out of prison, their faith will hold them to live right after. Are you with me? And, uh, but this guy said I was standing my ground and believing I was free. But then after the first year, I... Uh, it was somewhere around there he started realizing I can get out this way through faith, believing that God has given me my freedom first, and I'm declaring it, not trying to get it. Then the second year came, and he got his parole letter, and it said you will be paroled in the year of none, zero, zero, zero. In other words, you're never going to get out. And he started wearing on him because, you know, the enemy is going to try to hammer away at people with thoughts that seem like it's you. It isn't going to work. It's not working. And he got a little fussy. And the Lord literally spoke to him as he was walking behind one of the buildings where he would pray in, in, in the jailhouse. And, and the Lord said to him, listen, I did not put you here, but I told you if you will trust me, you will get out. Three and a half years after a life without possibility of parole. They gave him letters, gave him everything, and said, you're free. But what did he do? He believed he possessed it before he saw it. See, because if I believe I possess it before I see it, because God said it, there is real substance. Even though I don't see the change, I need to declare the change. Why? I'm releasing the ability that is in those words and in what was already paid for, I'm releasing what was paid for through words. And he said it didn't look like anything was going to change, and even people would tell him, what are you doing? But he got so bold, he started saying, it's working. I've got it. 
and he went free. Matter of fact, years later, he had a bunch of pastors because he felt like God wanted him to fly an airplane, but you can't have a pilot's license because they're afraid if you're an ex-felon, you're going to go down to Mexico or somewhere and bring drugs back or do something illicit. So all these pastors that he had preached in their churches over the years sent letters to, you know, whatever the parole and probation department, you know, there in that state. And they gave him a full pardon. And now he's got a pilot's license and he flies his plane everywhere to preach. I think that's kind of cool, you know, full pardon, like he never did anything. But how did he do that? Notice this. He already bore our sins. Well, what if you're struggling? Start declaring you are free because you are free. Make what's in you start coming out. And he said, by whose stripes you were healed. Don't try to get healed. Believe you've got it and bring it forth. Is everybody alive and well today? So, like I said before, you cannot experience salvation until you get experience in you. Then you can bring it forth. You can't experience the infilling of the Spirit until you get filled with the Spirit. Then you can bring it forth and speak forth in tongues. All the things of God are this way. Are you with me? All of them. Let's close with these verses in Romans, the sixth chapter. See, if we're dead to sin, then, then there is freedom. And if we, we have an inheritance, we've got the inheritance. Often people are struggling to get instead of taking what they have and making it come forth in this world. Are you with me? Romans 6.2. Actually, we'll look at, look at two verses here and close. Certainly not. How shall, and I jumped right into the middle of a sentence. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Think about it. Every Christian can say, I'm dead to sin. And you can watch somebody who's dead to sin live in sin. And I'm talking about a true believer. There can be worldly people who are living in sin, but you can see a true believer. And that's why we read verses before where it said when people do that, they're living like a mere man. But you are not mere men and mere women. You are different, and you have something different in you. 6.11 says, and he tells us right here, we're actually dead to sin. In other words, instead of just saying, quit doing that, quit doing that, you need to start considering that you've already got these things. Notice this, and we'll close right here. Verse 11 of the same chapter. Likewise, you also reckon. Now, that sounds like you're from the south. I reckon I'm going to do that. Well, what does that mean, I reckon? I reckon. Well, if I'm from Southern California, it sounds like you're going to get in a car accident. So we're going to have to translate this into Arizonan. Likewise, you reckon or consider it to be so. What is it that we're considering to be so or realizing or recognizing. He said, likewise, you also recognize that yourselves, that you yourselves are dead or to be dead indeed to sin. In other words, you need to recognize, reckon, consider, realize that you are dead to sin. 
but you are alive to God. You're dead to that. Have you, have you ever gone to a funeral before and they, the body's there? And there's often people who will go, I'm so sorry, and they'll look at the person and they'll kind of talk to the person. I don't mean to be cold, but you need to reckon or consider they're dead. They, don't, they can't communicate with you. They have left their body. They don't interact with you that way. That's not being mean. They've gone on to either be with the Lord or not. But that's not, you, you're communicating with their body. They're dead to you. Or they're dead to this world in the sense that not that they don't exist, but they're not operating here. You're dead to sin. This is not where we operate. You need to consider yourself to be that way. Are you with me? But you need to realize this, but you are alive to God. Flat out, there isn't one person. You can't look at somebody by you and go, whoa, they really know God. Now, they may be exercising their rights to pray and commune and fellowship with God, but as a Christian, you're just as alive to God as they are. Just whether you're using it or not. I mean, I've got the same muscles that you do, but some of you, um, your muscles aren't as big as mine. Somebody else that looks, you know, like some other people in here and going, well, that ain't saying much. Look at mine. But we all got the same muscles. We're all alive unto God. What are we doing with it? We don't have to say, oh, God, come on. We can go, no, I can go on. 